The big story of the day is uh, convicted drunk driver Marco Muzzo seeking parole again. Now, this is not anything new. We had kind of alerted you to the fact that most likely he would be applying for his second parole and it would be coming up this spring. And indeed, now we know the hearing is scheduled to be held April 28th at Beaver Creek Institution in Gravenhurst. The other big story of the day is the story uh, that um, revolves around the ongoing, and I think mischief is too is too simple of a word to use in the case of the people that were outside Belleville once again on Mohawk land, lighting skids on fire yesterday, and standing on tracks in front of freight trains. I, I think we're beyond mischief now. I think we could be uh, leaning a little bit towards domestic terrorism, but we're here to talk to uh, David Perry about those subjects. David, welcome to the show. Good morning. Let's start off with Marco Muzzo. He's seeking parole again. We knew this was going to happen. Um, this is just so tragic for uh, the the family of, of the victims. Um, but I want to talk to you about how many times someone can apply for parole in a situation like Marco Muzzo's. They can apply as often as, as they want and as, as often as the procedures allow them to. And I have to be honest, I don't know what the separation in time is if you apply once and you're turned down, if it's a three-month, six-month, whatever. But they can keep applying. And I know there is a, a space and time where they have to wait for the next application. But uh, he's up and coming from a victim advocate side, uh, you know, I'm kind of hoping the justice system does the right thing for this family who lost their entire family and they keep them in. Yeah, there is currently a uh, change.org um petition uh, that is garnering a lot of signatures. I'm just watching the numbers tick up like a clock here. We're at 27,370. They've signed on. They want to get it to 35,000. It says deny Marco Muzzo's appeal uh, April 2020 parole um, to the parole board and Corrections Canada. We're a community asking for tougher DUI laws. We're asking that Marco Muzzo should not be allowed parole and should finish the remainder of his 10-year sentence in prison. I guess the argument is if he is in prison, they don't, they can't um, assure that he is working on rehabilitation. True, and that's all part of the process for them, determining whether he's eligible for parole. If he's doing what he's supposed to do and he's, he's taking uh, the appropriate treatment courses and counseling and so on, that all goes to his credit. But when you look at the gravity of the offense and the loss of life here, I, I hope that the parole board will take a stronger stance on that particular side and make this guy uh, pay for what he did as best as our broken justice system can do. David Perry, how much, how, uh, much weight does um, a, a, one of these petitions carry in a parole board hearing? Do you know? Well, you know what? They, they say they listen, but... The parole boards, the same as the the judges, they they in law they operate within a vacuum. So they're they're supposed to take the emotion out of all of their decisions and look at the law. And the law, in terms of parole, is all about rehabilitation. You know, remorse, taking all the right steps to make sure that they're ready to be released and perhaps released at an earlier date than anticipated. And when they look at that just from that sterile environment, uh, sometimes they'll make these these decisions and somebody like him certainly could get out. 
David, I want to turn our attention here to the uh, ongoing rail blockades. They just uh, keep happening, although the OPP moved into Belleville and broke things up on Monday. We have seen further action. The Toronto Police tweeted out on Wednesday, 37 people were arrested during the blockades at the GO train tracks. Um, 25 were released unconditionally. The remaining 12 were criminally charged with mischief. Seven of the 12 also facing charges under the Rail Safety Act. And then uh, yesterday, we saw some disturbing footage. I want to play some audio from that footage. It is on Mohawk Territory. It's near Belleville, near where the OPP had originally um, broken up that earlier uh, protest where the people had camped out for over two weeks. Um, These seemed almost uh, to escalate things here. Uh, Basically, uh, the protesters, if we can call them protesters still, I, I think that maybe that label has long expired with regard to these individuals that are setting they're physically dragging um skids up on railway tracks while freight trains are going by piling them up and setting them ablaze here's a little sound of the guys jumping in front of a train and saying oh it's not going to stop the train's not stopping the train's not stopping jesus It's shocking video. They have to uh, jump off the tracks. It sounds like the train is trying to stop, but everybody knows trains don't stop on a dime. There are various reasons on why the trains have to uh, sound their horn when they are coming up to a level crossing, and that is because their stopping time isn't like uh, we have the ability to stop in a car. And we all know that that stopping time, depending on conditions, can be greatly um, affected. Um Our prime minister doesn't seem to be saying much. He's saying it's extremely concerning. And then yesterday when someone tried to stop him while he was in uh, the halls of um, parliament, here's what he had to say. Prime Minister, is lighting a train on fire an act of terrorism? Nothing. He said nothing. He ran away. Um, Is this an act of terrorism? Um, Technically under the law, no, it's not an act of terrorism, but it's certainly something that is far past, you know, mischief, which is a fairly low-level criminal offense. You know, it certainly falls into the realm of criminal negligence and um, probably some other more serious offenses. But here's the thing. Um, The Prime Minister, of course, we've all, I think we all agree he's been pretty weak on his leadership in in this entire uh, event since, since it started out in British Columbia. But we, all of us, um, the community, the police, and I suppose the politicians are all sort of stuck in the middle of something. And where it changes is when we see what happened in the video that you just aired. And you've got people standing on track, setting fires on approaching trains. That's criminal negligence. That's that's not only uh, very dangerous for the protesters, obviously, but it's very dangerous for anybody that's operating or on those trains. So that's that's a, an extreme escalation. That is not considered anything close to peaceful protest. And unfortunately, that puts the police in a position where they have to act. These are, are times when the police will immediately escalate uh, their tactics, which would include going in and using uh, force to re- remove people, to arrest people, and to charge them criminally. So there has to be, you know, a, a bit of a, a readjustment in the protesters' thinking and you know, you can argue whether they're protesters or they're anarchists or there's something else. But when you get back to the basics on this, 
it's still this very core issue of Indigenous rights and their what they believe are their rights in their in their sovereign community. So it's a fine line. It's tough for the police. It's tough for politicians. But in these videos, the police aren't moving in. I mean, we don't see them move in, at least, and we haven't heard of any arrests out there. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have to judge that on a case by case basis. But um, you know, I, I'm. I mean, I, I, if I was there and I was a police officer, I certainly wouldn't be running up on the tracks to try and save somebody who's standing in front of a train barreling down on them with fires in front of them. But I may want to take some action afterwards. And For sure. You've got train. the you've got yeah. the video evidence. It's up on online and you were there uh, witnessing it as well. Do police have to start rolling their own video on people? They do. And here's the problem. Um, even in situations like this, where the majority of the public would support and back the police for going in and arresting those people. You still, if you do that, you still have an escalation of blockades and potentially violence across the country. So every single step that the police make, that they're forced to make, they're not there because they want to be, that they're forced to make, for example, arresting those people in Belleville, we can almost guarantee that that will cause a reaction across Canada whereby more, more railways are blocked, highways are blocked, shipping lanes are blocked, and so on. And so the, the, the tactics here by the police is to only arrest as, as a really last chance clause when, when they truly are forced into a situation to arrest people. But the problem is, the longer you let it go, the higher the odds go on, you know, if this action continues. If, if people are now resorting to violent acts like setting skids on fire and putting the, potentially putting the lives of the train engineers in danger and the people that are on that train, if that derails and people die, then we've got a situation. Yeah, we certainly do. And, and you know, you can stand on every side of that equation and you're, you're very smart to be on the side that you're on here. And, and I tend to agree with you. But the reality is still for every action, there will be a reaction. And even if the action is so professional and and so necessary, like the one we're talking about right now, it will still cause a reaction that could and likely would lead to escalation. And then, you know, you could say, well, you know, the police arrested in Belleville, therefore there was an escalation in, uh, you know, in Toronto and people were killed as a result and so on. It's it's just a revolving mess that nobody wants to be in. And it, it has to be uh, approached with so much caution. I, but I, how I, much I, caution can you use? Because at some point, the public are going to become fatigued. And they're, I think they're at that point. When people started seeing the video, there were, you know, a lot of people that, you know, the tide turned. They were becoming angry. I know a lot of people became very angry about uh, the GO train line being affected. And their sympathies were with the protesters originally. I think the tide is turning. So do we have to worry about retaliatory violence against these protesters if they don't feel like the police or the government are, are even doing anything here? Because to me... Uh, you know, Peter McKay's tweet said it all. That could be the next step, right, where we have counter-protests, and now we've got people uh, lined up on opposite sides of the rails and, uh, you know, potentially violence between the two groups. So, yes, and then where are the police again? Well, back to their usual position, stuck right in the middle. And the one thing the police can't and won't do is they won't react to public opinion. So I agree with you. I, I've talked to a lot of people about this this week, and... The tide is shifting. The public support that was once there for these communities and for these blockages is, is waning. Uh, there's an awful lot of people that are, even if it doesn't directly impact them, when they start thinking about how many people are being impacted, the economic costs, 
and the disruptions and then the absolute blatant uh, public safety issue that that's being caused. Uh, yes, the public are, are growing tired, but that won't change the course of the police. The police will remain negotiations first, even when there's violence. Uh, negotiation first, even when there's things like we saw in Belleville, and they'll only arrest as a last resort because the end result is nothing good will come out of the arrest. David, I want to thank you for your time. My pleasure. Have a great day. David Perry, 640 Toronto Law Enforcement Expert.